0: This is a day of joy and celebration at Grace Fellowship. A small group of people that gathered in my living room over five years ago have been blessed by God to see many people added to our family here at Grace Fellowship. God has provided in so many ways over the past years. In August of 2003, I was working at Hills Moving and Storage trying to complete my master's degree Shepherding a small family, just starting out, and teaching a Bible study that would blossom into a full-fledged church by the grace of God. At that time, there was no way for the people of this church to be able to provide financially for my family, but God always provided. He provided not only physically in finances and in friends and in family, but He provided a vision. He birthed inside of me and other men a desire to see a godly congregation of people that would live for His glory and would go further than these local boundaries that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. God bless Grace Fellowship and in a short order... There was enough financial blessing to provide some support for me and for my family. And now that small support has become full-time. And not only for me, but we've been able to bring Dave Swinney on and be able to help with his financial needs. And we've been able to pay a children's director. We've been able to bring in staff to help run this facility. All because God has provided God has been faithful. Grace Fellowship got it started in my living room, as I said earlier, with about 11 families who were willing to come together and pray and see if God would move and see if God would use us in this place. And over the past five years, we've seen God bring numerical growth to our congregation. Grace Fellowship is now home to more than 160 people. They couldn't fit in my living room in any way or fashion. God has been faithful and God is blessed. And the original families of that 11 don't all live here anymore. Some have come back to join us today to celebrate with us. Others couldn't be here. Some have moved to Georgia to minister the gospel. Others have moved other places for the glory of God. But a bond still exists, The vision still lives, and God's Word is going forth to the nations. We now are home to two potential missionaries within the next calendar year that grew up really in their faith here in this place. And through the ministry of Campus Outreach, which has been a stalwart backbone to our ministry here all these years. And now a little church of 160 may actually touch the lives of people in Puerto Rico and people in Nepal and to the ends of the earth. God has been faithful. It would be great if all we had to look at was the financial growth of the church, which God has been more than pleased to bless us with. You know, in a time where everyone seems to be so fascinated with economics, this church has given and met its budgetary needs three months early. And that's because God has been faithful through you. And we aren't shrinking away from a vision. We're growing in our vision. That would be enough. If all we could say was in five years God has blessed us with this facility and this acreage. and That's all we have. But thank God for that. But that's not all God has done. You know, in 2003 when we started out as a Sunday night Bible study... In the Aniston Meeting Center, not many of the people gathered there probably envisioned a place like this or a day like this. But somewhere deep in my heart as I would lay in the bed and wonder if anyone would show up the next week, I knew that this day was out there. Not because of me. And not because of the men and the women and the children that call themselves a family at Grace Fellowship. I believed it. Because I know who God is. And God is faithful. God was not only faithful to provide the Aniston Meeting Center, and that facility met our needs for several months, but as God began to make provision more and more, we were able to move in February of 2004 to the property on Lockett Drive, about an acre and a half, and two small buildings which have been more than we could uh, have ever asked for. I'll never forget the first meeting our men had, some of them are here today, and we walked around the facility, and we came to the kind of the point where you're going to kind of close the deal, you know, and we kind of thought it was done, and so we just showed the tenants, the Fellowship Baptist Church, who owned the property, a piece of paper. They just simply said, we'd like to use a facility, Facility, we'd like to guarantee you can't kick us out unless you give us a few weeks warning. No money's going to change hands unless you want it to. I mean, this is all we're asking. They literally threw the paper in the floor and walked out. The meeting went to pot, and we kept meeting in the Anniston Meeting Center. And yet, that was in January, and by the first week of February, Aaron and I were talking over the phone. He said, let's just go see Mr. Curry. Let's just go see if... Maybe he's changed his mind. We knocked on his door, and I'm sure Aaron remembers. Jabe was 82 at the time. He swung the door open. We didn't know if he was going to punch us or tell us hello. And he said, I've been waiting on you guys to come back. Come on in. Shocked. Just a few weeks ago, he threw a paper in the floor and said he'd never let us use the building. And now he's been waiting on us, but he didn't call us. And in his living room, he apologized. He signed a piece of paper and let us start using the facility. So we moved in there in February, and it was a blessing. God was generous. And the most generous part of that story for me is that Jabe Curry became part of our family at Grace Fellowship. Not a Sunday went by that Mr. Curry didn't sit just to my left, smile on his face, seeing that God was faithful. You see, he had started, been a founding member of a church also, and it had kind of died out. And just before he died, he was able to see a young congregation use a facility again that he had helped build with his own hands. And it brought life and energy to him. About a month before he died of lung cancer, he said, you know, I just ought to deed this place over. And so he did. We were the proud owners of a free facility. God is faithful. He is faithful in so many ways. We enjoyed the time God gave us in the facility on Lockett Drive and we wouldn't take anything for those days. The facility met our needs but gave us no room to expand and fulfill our vision as a local congregation. And so the Elders of Grace Fellowship prayerfully requested an opportunity to purchase some property at Fort McClellan because we see McClellan as an opportunity for growth. We see... Fort McClellan has an opportunity for this community to move forward in unity. And in the future, we see great things for Aniston and the surrounding area because of what God will do in the leadership that will bring growth to this place. Not just Grace Fellowship, but the whole place. At first, the, the door was kind of closed, and yet they approached us Soon after that, because another church had also asked for this facility, Centurion Chapel, this old kind of dilapidated eyesore that was growing up in weeds and nobody really had any need for it. As a matter of fact, it was going to be demolished, I think. And yet, because there was some interest, the leadership of the JPA in wisdom offered the opportunity for those two fellowships to place offers on this Estimates were made and we placed an offer and we continued to pray. And after months of prayer and bids back and forth and votes by the JPA, the purchase was complete. In a remarkable show of His faithfulness, God provided over eight acres, two buildings, and a physical place, only a physical place really, but a very important key to fulfilling the vision which He has birthed in the leadership of this church. A home. You see... I don't think this will ever not be our home. If the vision which God has birthed in our hearts, now not only in the leadership, but in the leadership and the people takes place, there will be Grace Fellowships springing up in every community of this county and in states which surround us. And we look forward to the day that this facility is a ascending place for both foreign missionaries and home missionaries. We see a place where this church might expand not inside these walls, but outside these walls. We envision a place where this eight acres gets marshaled into the kingdom of God to bring orphans to Christian homes. We see a place where widows might live their last days on the earth serving God's kingdom, praying for His people, loving little children, and going to meet their Savior, not laying down but standing up and leaning forward saying, I have run the race, I have finished the course, and now I'm headed home. That's what we see for this eight acres. Today is not the end. Today is not the grand finale. This isn't tie a ribbon around it and put it on the shelf and be proud This is a day of beginnings. This is a day where we can launch out into greater and bigger places, which God can only provide, because God is faithful. God is faithful. And in generations to come, we believe He will show His faithfulness as the congregation changes and moves and morphs into the image of Jesus Christ. I've not even scratched the surface of God's goodness toward us. We've seen many people saved during our years together. Many people have been nurtured through personal discipleships. Families have been pulled back from the brink of disaster. Individuals have been given the fresh confidence in the church which they lacked. And most of all, Jesus Christ has been lauded in this place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To God be the glory. Because of the great things that He has done. Grace Fellowship lifts up our hand in praise to this magnificent God. He is more than worthy of our praise. Today is a day. Today is a day to worship and praise the God who provides for us. I want us to look at a passage that deals... With a similar setting to our setting today. Only this passage is recorded and its events occurred thousands of years ago. If you take your Bible and turn to First Kings chapter 8. The passage has been read and so we won't read the whole thing for time's sake. But I want to deliver a message called Honor God and Bring Glory to His Name. Honor God and Bring Glory to His Name. Now the book of First Kings... As I told the people last week, the Old Testament often is used as a history book only and First Kings definitely could be used as just that because it is the history of God's people in the Old Testament. First Kings is a history of the kings of Israel starting with Solomon. First and Second Samuel record for us the reign of Saul and David and at the beginning of First Kings, David goes to be with the Lord. And his son Solomon assumes the throne. And so it is an important book. But it's not just a history book. You see, this book was written with Deuteronomy in mind. Deuteronomy is the repeating of the law and the promises which God made to his people Israel when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And 1 Kings uses Deuteronomy as kind of an outline. The writer of First Kings says God is faithful. God promised and He has fulfilled. He took you as not being a people and made you a people. And now He has raised you up to a place of power. He has given you a throne and a place to worship. Our God is faithful. That's kind of the attitude and the background of the book of First Kings. In First Kings, we don't know who wrote it. Some speculate Jeremiah wrote it; others that a group of Levites wrote it. We're not real sure. We know the Holy Spirit birthed it in the hearts of those who penned it. First and Second Kings were put in this current form sometime in the sixth century, and we know this by several. Self-contained dates that it gives us. And it was after 561 BC. And the theme of 1st and 2nd Kings, if you want a theme, let me give you that. The theme is it shows the people of Israel the theological vision outlined in Deuteronomy, which was fulfilled in the, mon- in the monarch of Israel. The people are able to trust this all-powerful, sovereign God of heaven and earth, even though the destruction of the temple has occurred, captivity has happened, persecution has risen up, and yet God is shown to be faithful. You see, when this book was written, the monarchs were gone. There was no throne in Israel. When this book was written, the temple which we're going to read about and see, was gone. It was destroyed. And yet the writers had hope and faith because God keeps His promises. God is faithful. The book of 1 King is divided into four sections. The first one, chapters 1 through 11, tells us about the reign of King Solomon. And that's our section today. On a day like today, what can a book this old and focused on the people of Israel have to say to us as we live in the 21st century? You kind of feel that way sometimes about the Old Testament, I'm sure. What does that have to do with me? And you might feel that way about this passage. I mean, this is about the temple. Are are you saying that this is the temple? No. I'm saying much more than that. I'm saying much more than that. I'm saying that on a day like today when we dedicate a physical building let us not forget that our temple is Jesus Christ. And that in Him we are in Israel. And all of the promises made to the people of Israel have been fulfilled in Christ therefore they are not null and void they are living and active to us as His people. We're not dedicating a temple We have a temple. We're not asking God to erect an altar for sacrifices. The sacrifice has been made in Jesus Christ. We're not looking for Him to make this place last forever in its physical form. We're asking that He bring His physical form back to the earth and dwell with us once more in a city that was made in heaven. That's what we want. That's the connections here. Let's look at three quick points as we move through this passage. And I say quick and our people kind of smirk because nothing I do from the pulpit is very quick. But I want to do my best. I realize you might be used to a 10-minute sermon if you're visiting with us or 20. Our people are fairly accustomed to 45 and they sometimes even get them longer than that. But hopefully by the grace of God, not today. Not today. They may invite you back as visitors so that they can get out earlier every Sunday. I want to try to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. First, I want you to see that God is transcendent. God is transcendent and imminent. He is a covenant maker and He is a covenant keeper. Those things aren't opposites in God. For you or for me, those would be opposites. But for God, there's unity. God is transcendent, which means He's far above, and yet He's imminent, which means He's closer than a brother. How can that be? Let's look at our passage. Look at verse 12. Solomon said, The Lord has said that He would dwell in thick darkness. Imminent. I mean, transcendence. High above. Thick darkness. God is holy. In an age where people are customarily irreverent, and in an age where people have forgotten that God is not only a gracious and merciful and loving God, but God is a God who judges. God is a God who sits on a throne in heaven. God is a God who... Is righteous in all of His ways. God is a God who is holy. Which means He's set apart. He's not like anyone else. I want to say God dwells in a dark place. It's secret. It's unknown. I can't see it. And you can't see it. He is holy. He is above us. He is not like us. He is not like us. Look at verse 23. In our passage. And Solomon, after lying down and raising his hands toward heaven, said, O oh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above, on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. There's not a God like you, Solomon says, in heaven or on earth. You see, in Solomon's day, people worshipped idols, little gods, and they lived in temples. Okay? There were buildings, and there were these little wooden or golden or jewel-covered statues. And people went in and worshipped these great gods. Solomon says... You're not like those gods. You don't live in a temple. You are in heaven and on earth. You are transcendent. You're above. You're different. You're not like us. You're not like other gods. God is a category to himself. If we were playing the scientist... We could find similarities in the creation that might kind of look like God, but they in themselves are not God. If we were scientists, we would conclude after years of study, God is in a category by himself. In a world full of becomings, as R.C. Sproul says, he is the one being. God never changes. God never goes back on His Word. God is not like men who lie. Our God is faithful. God is transcendent and it means so much to us that He is not like us. If you look in verse 27, Solomon says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. If you know anything about the temple, it's not a mere house. This was a palace unmatched by anything on the earth. Tons and tons of rock were quarried and brought in. Men for years sweated over the work of building a building not like this building as grand as this is. No, this was a building overlaid with gold filled with precious jewels held up by the cedars of Lebanon as decoration the finest granite in all of the world. And yet Solomon says the best we could build for you is not enough. You're the God of heaven and earth. You can't dwell in this house. He's transcendent but he is also imminent. He's also close to us he's right here with us if you look in verse 15 we see it in the passage and he said blessed be the lord the god of israel who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised and with his mouth to the to david my father now in a shepherd culture This has a lot of meaning. And it has meaning for you and for me. If you'll think, the people you love, you could close your eyes and sketch their hand. I know every scar, every line, every smooth place on the hand of my wife. Because her hand is near me. And with her hand, she both loves me and holds me. And Solomon says, With your hand, God, you have kept your promise. This is not a deist God which is separated far back and has no interaction with his people. This is a loving Father who reaches down with his hand as transcendent and far above and unlike us as he is, he comes down and we see the imprint of his hand around us in the creation and on our very lives. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Because through the pain of this life and the suffering of your days, God has not failed to show you his hand. And with each look, you see something much more beautiful than before. He is above us and He is with us. He can't live in a building, but He can show us His hand as He keeps His promises. God is transcendent and God is imminent. And He is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Now this one is crucial. If you fall asleep the rest of the message I'll wake you up when it gets really good again. Get this. You need this today. God keeps his word. Look in verse 21. David is dead. Young Solomon has prayed for wisdom, and he has received it. And he has built a house for God, which is unmatched, unparalleled in the world. And yet, look at verse 21. And there I've provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. God is a covenant maker. God promised Abraham that he would give him descendants that could not be numbered unless you could number all the grains of sand at the seashore and all the stars in the sky. And he said, I will make you a blessing. I will bless you and you will bless all the nations. God is a promise maker. He is a covenant maker. God promised David, his servant, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can look at it later today. David said, I have a house, I have a palace, and you don't have a place to live. And God says, it's not your place to build me a house. The one who comes after you, your son, who sits on your throne, he will build me a house. And here's the promise. Not just that you'll have a son who will be a king, but there will never be a day in which a king does not sit on your throne, David, and rule over my people. I will be A God to my people through you and through your descendants. God made a covenant with David. And so we come to 1 Kings chapter 8. And Solomon says, I built a temple, but really all I wanted was a place for the covenant. He didn't mention the pillars of marble. He didn't mention the overlaid gold on the doors. He didn't mention the fine jewels. He didn't mention anything except I made a place for the ark, which has the covenant of the Lord in it, which He made with our fathers in the desert when He brought them from Egypt. What was the promise then? I will give you a land. I will make you a people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Okay, I got it. God made some promises back there. What does that matter to me? I live in the 21st century. I'm in America. I'm not in Israel. God's promise was not finished in physical Israel. It was only begun. God's promise was brought to completion in the true Israel. And his name is Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1 verse 14, we find a very significant passage of Scripture. And it says that Jesus Christ, the Word, became flesh. And he he tabernacled, he pitched his tent. He made his dwelling place with us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. In that one passage, John is saying... The promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to every nation. The promise to the children of Israel in the desert at Mount Sinai when he said, I will be your God. The promise to David when he said there will be one who will sit on your throne forevermore. And the promise that was fulfilled in the time of Solomon when the temple was built is come to the presence of his people. Jesus Christ is his name. That's what it has to do with you and me. God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Everything He has promised, He has brought to pass, not only in a physical temple, but in His Son, Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled the word He gave to our fathers. Jesus says in John 8, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And Paul says, Abraham believed the gospel and was counted to him as righteousness. What I'm saying to you is, this is not the temple. Jesus Christ is the temple. You can come to this building year after year, service after service, And I hope that you do. And you can bring your friends and your family to this place. And they can hear preaching and singing and confession and prayer. And they can be around God's people. And they can say, something's odd about them. They're a little different. But they will never be saved because they come to this building. That was the hope of Israel. Notice in Solomon's prayer that he says, the people will come to this temple and they will see you and your faithfulness to the people. They had a physical building. And their evangelism, if that's what you want to call it, was to bring foreigners to the building and let them see God being faithful to his people so that those people would believe in God. You can't do evangelism that way. What will you do in Evangelism Grace Fellowship? What will you do? Where will you take them? The answer is in John chapter 4. Jesus said to the woman at the well, The day is coming, and it's now here. When we won't go on the mountain and worship with your fathers, nor will you come to Jerusalem and worship with my fathers, But those who will worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then we get a picture that only Jesus could draw. That all of the nations would not come to a building, all of the nations would come to Him. This is not a temple, this is a building. And we're very thankful for it. But you can't win people because you have a building in our day. In our day, we win people by bringing them to Christ. This building is only a small part of the vision at Grace Fellowship. It is not insignificant, but it is not the totality of the vision. What do we seek to do in this place? We hopefully will capture beauty for you so that you might see that our God is both creative and beautiful. We hope that you will see that our God is a benefactor. He gives good gifts to His children. We hope that this will be a place where you can come and plant yourself and feel at home and grow in your faith. But if this building is not filled, With the right preaching of His Word. Singing. Confession. Relationship with Him and with our friends and family and those who come. If this place is not a place of sending to the four corners of the earth. Then we would be better off to knock the building down. Worship under the oak tree. And reach the world. One thing you won't see in First Kings chapter 8 is what happened. I believe God destroyed this building they built. Because it became their God. Later in their history, they lost their vision. They served themselves and their building. And God took it from them. He said, if you won't go out, I'll drive you out. If you won't reach the Babylonians and the Assyrians, I'll make you go live with them. I'll conquer you and make you go live with them. And then they rebuilt the temple and God destroyed it again. And in Christ's day, He said, Tear this temple down. There won't be one block left on another. But in three days, I will raise up The temple. Jesus is our temple. This is a building. We love this building. This building is a great gift from our Father who is good to us, but it is no more than a building and it will not save anyone. Only Jesus Christ will save them because God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. In His Son, Jesus Christ, all the promises have been fulfilled, Paul says. They are yes and they are amen. God is not only transcendent and imminent, He's not only a covenant maker and covenant keeper, but God, secondly, is to be worshipped as our faithful, omnipotent, omnipresent, benevolent, gracious, and merciful God. He is omnipotent, which means He is all-powerful. We see it in verse 15 when, it's, when, the, when, the, when Solomon says, Blessed be the Lord and God of Israel who he, with His hand has fulfilled what He promised with His mouth to David. And it is He who brought us out of Egypt. God is omnipotent. Whatever sin is in your life, whatever situations you have come to, whatever hardships you face, God is able to overcome them. God is not only able, but He is willing and He is ready to overcome them. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There's never been a day where He said, I cannot do it. It's too much for me. I'm no good. I'm undone. I have no solution. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. He is with us. And we see it in verse 27 if you look at the passage. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, How much less this house. What a beautiful passage. Our God is in the heavens. And he does whatever he pleases. And yet he is the shepherd which brings us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we fear no evil. For our God is with us. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. My four-year-old and I have a lot of great discussions about that concept. He wants to know. How does God get in the attic? And then we explain he's not just in the attic, he's everywhere. And then that, that just confuses him. So is he in my bed? Is he in my clothes? Is he in the chest of drawers? Is he downstairs? Is he upstairs? Is he in our neighbor's house? Is he at the church? Is he, Where is he? To which I usually say, trust me. time to go to sleep. (laughs) It's difficult, isn't it? Because in our physical brains, we say I occupy this space and science tells me nothing else can occupy this space except me. And yet the Bible says God is everywhere. All of God is in all places. And so we accept it by faith and we realize grace fellowship, we need to... no matter how great you think this place is it can't contain god but what can it have i believe and you may be bothered by this i'm i'm not and it's okay if you are i really don't believe this is the temple but i do believe because jesus christ is our savior and our king and our god and he is with us that his name can dwell in this place that's all he did in the temple also my name shall dwell In this place. Not all of me. Just my name. And because Jesus Christ is in us. And with us. And through us. And he is king of kings. And lord of lords. Seated in the heavenlies. Reigning over us now. His name is in this place. And so. We can rejoice and thank God. For his. Omnipotent. Omnipresence. Our God is benevolent. And gracious and merciful. Look at verses 22 through 30. And I won't read them all. But he says in verse 30. And listen to the plea of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven. Your dwelling place. And when you hear. Forgive. Be benevolent. Be kind. Be gracious. Unto us. And in all of that passage about. The, the, that's the moral law code, which Solomon's praying through that out loud. If a man breaks his oath, he swears when he shouldn't, let him look to this place and find forgiveness. When we're defeated in battle, when a foreigner comes in, he goes through this whole list. But notice what he always says. He says in every one of those petitions, when they look to this place, the temple, Right? I'm not telling you to look to this building and pray. Remember I said earlier, Jesus is our temple. And so what I am telling you is, when you sin, look to Him and pray and find forgiveness. First John chapter two, verses one and two, John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, then Solomon says, for you only know the hearts of your children and all mankind, and you know that we all sin. So John knows that we all sin. But if anyone does sin, which is assumed in the passage we're going to sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And what I'm telling you is, though this is not the temple, Jesus Christ is the living temple. And he has both been the altar and the sacrifice. Which the altar was laid, which the sacrifice was laid on. And he has appeased the wrath of his father against you as a sinner. God looked on him and was satisfied in such a way that there's now no condemnation for you if you were in Christ Jesus. The gospel, the good news, which needs to go out of this pulpit and from these classrooms and all over is that our God is one who is faithful to keep his covenant. And he keeps his covenant in the one and only Jesus Christ, the forgiver of our sins. Because we are all sinners. We've all fallen short, we've not measured up. And you need not bother. Being a good person to please Him. I don't know everybody here. But it is safe to say. Some of you don't know this Christ. You've never looked to this temple, Jesus. you never asked Him to forgive you. And you may be saying, I don't really think I need to be saved from anything. But you do, because see, we all are sinners. If you are the greatest citizen the world has ever known, it is but filthiness before God. And whatever you do to fix, to solve that problem on your own, Only gets you further in debt. Because we're all sinners. And we have no hope outside of Christ. Our destiny from birth is hell. It's hell. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't necessary, it was already condemned. We're preset from birth. To inherit hell. Punishment for our sin. David said in Psalm 51, In sin was I put together in the darkest recesses of my mother's womb. From the very beginning we're sinners. It's a flaw that we can't remedy. We can't fix it. So we have no hope. We're sinners and we have no hope. And if the message ended there." Everyone would go home defeated and discouraged. But it doesn't end there. Because of what I said earlier about John 114. The Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh, and he pitched his tent with us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ fulfilled every legal requirement to satisfy God. He never failed morally. He was without blemish. And so He was actively obedient in our place. And then He was passively obedient by giving His life away on the cross. And he took that perfect flesh and died. He died. He said, it is finished. And what those little words mean is all of God's wrath had been poured onto him and he had died and paid the price for all of the sin of those who believe in him. I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved Anyone who looks to me in faith will be saved. That's what he says in John 3, 15. If you look at me in faith, you will be saved. What I'm telling you the good news is you don't have to try harder and be better. You have to quit trying and give yourself up to Christ. You have to say, if he can't save me, I cannot be saved. And we know that God's wrath is satisfied because on the third day he was resurrected to new life. The grave could not hold him. He defeated sin and death, and he led the captives free. That's the gospel. That's the message that has to ring out of this place. Leave these walls and reach to the ends of the earth. And so, as Solomon dedicated the temple, I would like to, in closing, dedicate this place. Grace Fellowship, we must desire that this facility be a place to see our transcendent God. May we never compromise the character of who our God is. Grace Fellowship, we have to desire that this facility be a place to know the immense, that the immense eminence of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We never, Grace Fellowship, need to compromise who our God is, yet we always need to show both sides of His presence, both His holiness and His grace. His just and His just sacrifice on our behalf in Jesus Christ. May this place be a place that that message is preached. Grace Fellowship, it should be our desire to be a place where people understand and experience the benevolence, the goodness of our God. And they will not experience that goodness in this building they will experience his goodness in us and so our mission our desire our dedication for this place is that it be a sending force of goodness into this community and around the world Grace Fellowship we need to desire that this building be a place where God is worshipped honored and served through the singing confessing and preaching of his people We really are an odd place. Sometimes we take too much pride in being odd. But we are different. If you hang around us, we're not really all that impressive as people. We're just common people. I'm the most common among us. But what this place never needs to be is a place where common messages are proclaimed. This needs to be a place, if it's the only place, where a pulpit's not a piece of furniture, but a sacred desk, where God's Word is opened and divided and handed out so that the people of God might live on the Word of God. That's our hope for this building. That's our prayer. That's our dedication. And finally, Grace Fellowship, we must desire that this facility be a launching place for multiple churches in Coyne County, the surrounding states, and the whole world. In a few messages back, I kind of got a shock out of the people because I got excited. I know I'm pretty reserved today, but sometimes I holler. And scream and pitch fits. But in the middle of one of those excited moments, and the people who were here might remember, I said, if we die looking at each other, basically, we failed. If in 30 years this congregation looks no different because people haven't come in through salvation and people haven't been commissioned out, To do the work of God. Then we failed. And we dedicate this building to that task. That they be saved. That they be discipled. And that they be sent to the four corners of the earth. And let it be our prayer. As we end this day. That if. That is not done. In this place. May the God of heaven and earth. Write anathema over the door. And may he destroy this place so that he might gain all glory and all honor. Let's pray. Father, on a day like today, we can say nothing more.